Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everything in between, welcome back to another edition of The Ryan Show FM, your favorite study on American culture. And this is your host, Ryan Vernell, here to join you for a two-hour audio experience for all video content. Go to our YouTube page, just look up The Ryan Show FM and you can subscribe and see what we're talking about. We've got two great Americans joining us, two experts in their field. Historian, yeah, I said it, historian Joseph Hill, who's also a documentarian. I guess that's probably a little more accurate. But documentarian Joseph Hill is joining us fresh off his trip to the South, where he is studying what happened in the Civil War, specifically the USCT, the colored soldiers that fought for the Union Army. I feel uncomfortable calling them colored soldiers, but I guess that's what they were called back then. The black soldiers, the African-American soldiers, you fill in the blank and cancel yourselves, but you know what I'm talking about. They were kicking some Confederate ass down there, and we're going to learn about his experience there. He visited the Appomattox Courthouse where the Civil War officially ended, where Robert E. Lee met with Ulysses S. Grant, and Grant sat hammered signing a treaty. Also, he visited the first location that African slaves were brought to the U.S. So it gets dark, it gets deep, and it gets American tonight. Also, Franco Van Durka, my dear friend who joins me every week on What's Going On. He's our baseball expert. He's going to join me here tonight as well as we peel back the layers on the New York Yankees offseason acquisitions. As you know, I've been bragging narcissistically about the New York Yankees greatness, and I'm not going to stop. The Yankees are back. The evil empire has returned, and we're going to get into it. Will the Yankees get Yamamoto? To me, it doesn't matter because the Yankees' state of mind is here, and the pride of the Yankees has returned. We're going to get into all of it right here tonight on the Ryan Show FM. Nobody go anywhere. Let's get it started. Honky Wonky, you know what to do. We'll be back. She walked in the court, her knees buckled, saying for a man to survive, he need hustle. Seen and been through struggle a whole life, made the transition from being his to his wife. Stifling. The night had been the ATF busted. Her daddy was a hustler, so she loved him. Looked at the jury, how can they judge him? She screamed. In a chest, a face with tears Had a man's back, he was facing years In a name, though the place was his They trying to take everything except the kids For years she been through scuffle and fights While he trying to hustle that white Up all night, wondering if he's alive Seeing him try, she bubbled inside and screamed Judge yelled for order, court reporter making her words shorter. His lawyer sat next to him. She could see how the trial was affecting him. It hurt for her eyes to connect with him. Using her lies for protecting him. They arrested him for murder and gun possession. As they read back her confession, she screamed. Got the verdict from the bailiff, emotional out 
burst tears and smear makeup. It stated he was guilty on all charges. She's shaking, looking like she took it the hardest. A spin artist, she brought her face up laughing. That's when the prosecutor realized what happened. All that speaking of mind, testifying and crying. When this did the crime, the queen pen. And we are back again. We need to give the people what they want around here, and we're going to do just that. Joseph Hill, our own historian, is back again, and he made it. He somehow survived the trip to, I don't want to say enemy territory, but I read those YouTube comments. Frightening. But he made it back from Virginia. Joseph Hill is back after his, a historic trip down to Appomattox Courthouse and to where the first ever African slaves were brought to this country. I'm sure it was a mind-blowing experience, Mr. Hill. But before we get into it, how are you, man? It's been a while since we've had you here. No, I'm I'm doing fine. Thank you. How are you? I'm fantastic. We just survived the storm here in the Hamptons. Okay. Big storm. We didn't get blown away. So we're still here. But I'm more concerned about you. I mean, overall, what was the energy like down there around that area? Were there a lot of historians? I mean, what do you expect to see? What could we expect to see if we were to go down to the Appomattox Courthouse right now where the Civil War ended all those years ago? Well, um, as you know, this trip is, you know, one more uh, location shoot for my documentary, um, The Fight for Freedom, Black Union Soldiers in the Civil War is the title. Um, we've been to a number of places. Um, this is our second time to Virginia. Uh, and actually, we're going to have to go back one more time. There's a lot of history in Virginia, a lot of Civil War history there. Um, we went to Hampton and to, uh, which is not that far, into Appomattox Courthouse where the Civil War ended. Um, but first, our stop into Hampton. So I flew from where I live in St. Paul, Minnesota. I flew into Richmond, Virginia. Um, then my two videographers met me in Richmond. Um, my director of photography, Tom Marini, drove from Rochester, New York. On his way down, he picked up Keith McManus, my second videographer, uh, in Philadelphia. And then they met me in Richmond. So, you know, that, that's where everything got started. But we were, we went to Hampton. Uh, the reason we went to Hampton, Virginia, was there's a, and for people who really love history uh, of all kind, but especially uh, early American history leading into the Civil War, going to Fort Monroe is like taking a trip to Disney if you're into history. It, there's a little of everything that's right there. Um, fort Monroe is the largest stone fort um, ever built in America. Uh, it took... 14 years to build and was the the completion of the building was in 1834. 
And one little caveat on uh, the building of Ford Monroe before I get into all the other history stuff was, guess who the final engineer was for the completion of the Ford? Has to be Lee or Grant. There's no, it has to be Robert E. Lee. Has to be. Because before the secession, before the split, Robert E. Lee uh, was the top military officer for the United States. He was Which not a lot of people know. A lot of people are, are, you know, didn't realize how high up he was. I noticed that in the comment section. A lot of people didn't realize that he was he was that big in the Union Army before right. the Civil War. In fact, he was offered the command of the Union Army. So he never was technically in command of the Union Army ever. He was just a top-ranking officer. Right. But yeah. I'm saying during secession at the beginning of the war, yeah. he was offered the command of the right. Union Army. Wow. And he turned it down. Because he said, you know, I'm a Virginian first. Just out of curiosity, how long after did he join the Confederates? Oh, right after. Right after, okay. Yeah. I mean, he, he had a decision to make, and yeah. they said, hey, you can be our top general. And he was like, no, nah, I'm a Virginian. Wow. Which is, you know, I mean, anyway. Piece of trash. I have a lot. No, I have a lot of thoughts about Robert E. Lee, but, you know, he was a man of his time. He was a Virginian for the 19th century. So, you know, in that way, I I don't like him, um, but I understand him, at least the way he thought. I mean, especially. So back to Fort Monroe, Lee, I, I always find it an irony. Also about Lee, guess who led the troops? To Harper's Ferry, when John Brown sees the uh, the R- the U.S. Armory at at uh, the arsenal at Harper's Ferry to start a slave revolution, get out! It couldn't have been Ooh. Lee. It was Robert E. Lee. Wow. He led the Marines, and he wasn't a Marine. He was an Army guy, but he led the Marines on the attack um, that led to the capture of John Brown. Wow. No, Robert E. Lee was, you know, before, like I said, the Civil War, he was the man. He went through one more little Lee tidbit. He went through West Point, right? Because he's a West Point grad. Yeah. One of their top. So he, he was almost at the top of his class. The guy went through West Point for four years and never had a demerit. Which could be anything, right? They're super strict down there. He never had a demerit. Think about wow. that. It's a different kind of guy. Yeah. He's not, not messing either. around. That's you know his discipline. Yeah, he was tremendously disciplined. Yeah. But that's enough of my admiration because Yeah, I was gonna say we don't want to be big up in Robert E. too much, Mr. Hill. We all know, no, you know the side he's no, on. No, because you know, in, in the end, what he led, you know, what we're talking about you know, what, it's a 750-some, 760,000 people killed in the Civil War. Now, do you think that if Robert E. Lee led the Union Army, that the war would have ended that much sooner? How much of a of an impact of him leading the Confederate Army did, a, did he have on a five- or a four-and-a-half-year war? 
would it have been shorter? Say he was not the leader of the Confederates. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we want to like go into like make well not make believe but fantasy and and use your imagination. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because he was first of all, he's very aggressive as a general, but he was a superior. You know, when the war started, you know, and and all of these neo Confederates love this stuff because it's true. When the war first started, the South was beating the snot out of the North, basically. And they weren't supposed to be like, just from the, the little bit of research. Well, that, you know. They had, as a set of generals, they had the better generals, and they were way more enthusiastic, you know, when the war began than the North was. I'm sure they still do right now, when you think about it. The South definitely has the better generals. But what I read is that before Grant was made the head of the Union Army, was that what? 1864 yeah. before that lee was beating every single or out generaling and outmatching every well, single was general lee, that the union army lee put out Stonewall there. jackson and you know because jackson was his right hand man yeah and then jackson was for lee unfortunately killed you know like in the middle of the war by accident which we can get into later and that that really took a lot away from the south and from lee um wow. but boy have we gone off? So back yeah. then, it's my fault. You know, the, uh, you know, there's some good videos coming. You know, the people listening, Abby. Back to Ford Monroe, though. So yeah. it was the construction was was completed in 1834. Yeah. And in fact, um, one of the park rangers I interviewed there, you know, we looked at where Lee's quarters was. Uh, Lee and his wife Mary Custis Lee. Uh, were newlyweds. They had just gotten married. In fact, their first son was born at Fort Monroe, at wow. you know where they stayed. Um, Fort Monroe is like it's like almost a, a mini city unto itself. It's huge. Um, I mean, huge. You don't really think about it, but back then you had to have forts built in America because there was that chance of an invasion and that chance of being attacked. You don't really like think about fortified buildings in America like that. You know, there's the Pentagon and the obvious Well, I mean, right? you had the French, you had, well, you had the British, you had the French, you had the Dutch, you had the Spanish. These were all like foreign powers that the newly formed United States had to worry about. And then yeah. really poor PC, but they also had the Indian Wars going on. So, yeah, there was a need for forts. Uh, and where Fort Monroe is located is in a peninsula uh, right on the Chesapeake Bay. So it's literally right on the Atlantic Ocean. Wow. And then on one side of the fort is the Chesapeake Bay. And the other side in the peninsula is, is Hampton Roads, um, which is a natural harbor. Um, ironically, speaking of all this history at Fort Monroe, on the Hampton Roads side, of Fort Monroe is where the Battle of the Ironclads took place. You're aware yeah. of that, right? Yeah, now I didn't realize that's why. The though. first two iron ships to ever do yeah. battle. And yeah, it right. changed naval battle history forever. It took place right there in Hampton Roads. Wild. But the, the most amazing thing for me at Fort Monroe, and I know we will eventually show the audience a video of this is um, Fort Monroe before the fort was built. That location was called old point comfort. 
big lighthouse there, but once again, it's kind of the, the entryway if you're coming across from the Atlantic. That was the location, and I stood in that location, and I was telling, you know, so when you, when, at least my, I can only speak for me, when I go someplace on location and I'm working, I'm in work mode. So my mind is always on either interviews or what I'm going to say on camera, the logistics of where, you know, so I can't really enjoy where I am as a tourist as just, Mm. so I'm saying all that to say one of the places at Fort Monroe and there's a, there's a um, commemoration plaque, if you will, sign uh, of it. That's the first location in 1619 that enslaved Africans were brought to English-speaking America. You know, and I stood right there and did a thing on camera. I'm actually more emotional about it now than when I was there because, once again, I had to work. So I had to, like, kind of get what I wanted to say and all that. Yeah, So I couldn't really take it all in emotionally. And actually it's, like I said, it's hitting me more thinking about it now. Wow. But um, we'll talk about that on camera later, but long story short, it was a pirate ship. They called them privateers, a pirate ship called the white lion um, that actually brought those first enslaved Africans. Wow. And And what year did you say that was again? 1619. 1619. Wow. And that's where all of it began. And that's, that's like on record, the very first ship that came over here. I mean, that seems like English. I keep saying this in English colonies. Got it. There have been enslaved Africans already here. uh, Cause the Spanish were the first ones to come to this country. And but they were further south. They were basically in Florida. That's right. And they had enslaved. And I've heard well, I've read different numbers. It was the early fifteen hundreds. Um one number says around, you know, fifteen, sixteen. Another number that is more bandied about is fifteen thirty five that the okay. Spanish brought the first enslaved Africans uh to the United States and it was in Florida. And then also simultaneously around that time is where they brought slaves to, I guess, uh, you know, the Dominican Republic or what is now the Dominican Republic, Jamaica, and a lot of these other places. Well, the white lion had come from Cuba. Wow. Okay. So the first enslaved Africans brought to English speaking America had been captured by the Portuguese in Angola because there was a war going on between the Portuguese and the the kingdom of um, Nagodo. I shouldn't, it was a kingdom, but it was, it was Angolans. And they captured all these Angolans and started, the Portuguese did, and started bringing them to the uh, Western Hemisphere. And the first wow. places, yeah, that they brought them to would be places like Brazil, because for, we talked about this before, there are more, enslaved Africans were brought to Brazil than any place else. Wow. Then, but they also, a lot of them were brought to the, to the uh, Caribbean 
um, brought to Cuba, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic. Um, Bermuda, which was British, also had enslaved Africans before they were brought um, ah, okay. to now the United States. But anyway, so it was a uh, um, pirate ship called the White Lion, um, which was Dutch, but they were doing their work for the British. And what they were doing was um, basically attacking Spanish and Portuguese ships, especially Spanish, and like taking them over and taking their cargo. So this happened to be some of the cargo. There was a second ship called the Treasurer, and that ship landed, I think, like four days later and brought wow. more enslaved Africans. And both of those ships traded the Africans for goods, so for food, equipment, all that stuff, because remember, yeah. it was a pirate ship. But they didn't have, they didn't want to spend the money, and they had something that they thought was valuable, which were these people. So they said, wow. hey, we'll, we'll trade you these people. And the number, that, that original number, so what I read at Fort, Fort Monroe, and I've never read the specifics of it before, um, if my math is correct, it was like 32, because it was 15 women and 17 men. Wow. Uh, Barbaric. It's just a hard time to be alive, right? No matter, it's just wild to think. Yeah. When there's no accountability, humans are just wicked. Yeah. Well, they weren't thought of as human beings. I mean, that's, you know, and it's hard to separate, but the way the uh, Europeans at that particular time, they didn't really, they weren't human beings in the same way the Europeans thought they were human beings. A, but Europeans have been making slaves forever. Well. Enslaving people back in the Roman times. It's just, I, is, it, Romans, is it a European? Speaking of that, the yeah. Romans enslaved the Slavs which is where the word slave come from. You know that, right? Wow, no, I did not. Yeah, they were the Slavs. So they were Eastern Europeans, um, Poles, Russians, Belarus, but they call them the Slavs, and that's where the word slave comes from. So they were too white. They were just different. I mean, and slavery in ancient times and slavery in most cultures is different than um, American shadow slavery. Yeah. It's a different. Because back in when you were a slave in ancient times, you could actually work your way to freedom. And you had certain wow. rights. You you know, in, in, in Roman times, depending on the era, but you could actually marry. There were all kinds of stuff that you could do as wow. a slave, right? And like I said, you could you didn't have to be a slave for life back in the day. In American chattel, slavery was totally different. Like you were a slave, your children were a slave, your grandfather was a slave, and it never ended. Insane. And you had no rights. And there was never, ever a mechanized system like that in history besides in the United States. This and was, I guess. Well, and, and, and other and European. Yeah, yeah, well, but in the Western Hemisphere. But, wow. but yeah, there was nothing like it. This slavery compared, I mean, slavery is bad in any. I'm not saying any slavery is yeah. good, but the degree of slavery in this country was the harshest in world history. Wow. And, you know, I know white folks don't want to hear this, especially maybe neo-Confederates, but we're still suffering from. When I say we, 
black people in America are still suffering from the repercussions of slavery. Yeah, of course. I mean, it takes more than a couple hundred years to get over something that's so ingrained well, into you know, society. And we're getting deep into this, but you know, all those traumas that your ancestors suffered is in your DNA. Did you know that? Wow. The I mean, it makes sense. The Holocaust, the survivors of the Holocaust, mm-hmm. their children, that trauma is in here. Literally, you're born with it. Wow. Which just blows my mind to think that the traumas that happened in past generations are still in your DNA. Like, literally, physically, scientifically. Right. Like a reaction, almost right. like your brain gets rewired right. and then it passes on through the right. kids. Wow. Yeah. Wild. Yeah, which is... Does that mean that the slave master mentality also gets passed down through the DNA? I'm not sure. All I know is trauma does get passed through DNA. I mean... Wow, that's wild. Lord knows I'm not a scientist, but there are enough people who've talked about it. And then there's a woman named Joy DeGruy, Dr. Mm -hmm. Joy DeGruy, an African-American psychologist who coined the phrase post-traumatic slave syndrome wow and she talks about if you in fact if you ever if any of your listeners ever want to hear about that once again it's dr joy DeGruy, post-traumatic slave syndrome and it's a whole thing on the traumas and why people you know like anger management would be one thing um that's ingrained in people from slavery. Insane. Yeah. Well, we got, we got like deep into slavery. (laughs) We did. And this is a perfect time to wrap this up. (laughs) We got a lot to talk about here. We're going to go to a very quick break, play a song, let everybody just absorb what we just learned. Cause that's deep, man. You know, it's one thing to study the history, but to know that it's literally physically a part of you. And it makes sense. We've read fiction and, maybe played video games where you can, they say memories are stored in DNA and everything else, but I got to get it. I got to do my digging. I got to go check out Miss Joy here. Like I said, there's a whole study of um, the children of Holocaust survivors. It's the same thing. Wow. Insane. See that? Let that sink in, folks. Joseph Hill's in studio. He's making the greatest documentary of all time, and you can follow him on Instagram at Official Black Truth. We're going to come back and talk more about his trip down to Virginia, where he's creating this documentary about black Civil War soldiers, specifically those that fought for the Union. Calm down, our Southern friends out there. We already discredited all those crazy views that you had. We'll be back soon. Nobody go anywhere. This is the Round Show FM, and we will return. You know, all my people out there, man, that's, you know what I'm saying? Can't wait for the blow up to blow up. Nope. You know, really being on this. Uh, 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 black Rob. Oh, yeah. Yo, yo, they want me to act up Room in the hood, I'm cracked up When I heard that, I cracked up I used to come through, shoot to get dapped up Now I pray to God, certain dudes get clapped up I ain't hear shit, four years I was wrapped up Haters in the pen was kind of mad when I packed up Got dressed, signed out, hopped in that black truck I ain't spend a dime, all them checks just stacked up Hit the studio, 
right, my rap's up I heard Josh playing in the streets, I slacked up I did enough wrestling up north, my nap's up I'm back to pumping fun, sipping yak, and I'm strapped up Wish doom would violate and get capped up I heard my baby mama with some blame all shacked up Give me two years, y'all better be blacked up Which one of y'all chicks won't f I'm backed up, backed up No matter what, go bananas, outstanding Red, black, and green bandanas, cock hammers No matter what, none of y'all fake, none of y'all safe If we ain't family or friends, then we don't vibrate No matter what, I don't fake it till I make it I take it to the limit and break it, represent it, represent it. No matter what, yo, yo we back again. Scream the name loud. Uh. Black, black. Flew black. from Paris on the red eye. With two parents Chanel for Ralph out of Toledo. The stormtrooper John Paul Yeager, the last Jedi without. We're in the helm of the hood of a mask. Cause I'm in plain sight, broad daylight. Without warning, I come to where you performing. I'll be serving the warmth the first thing in the morning. And I ain't even a woman. I'm just seizing the moment. I'm a piece of the omen. I just charted the topper from under the FDR. PR, say he will repel. PR with legal bread. Imperial purple arena. My girl hunger is kill monger, the king is dead. I come to whoever claim king and bring his head. My cake swinging, I got it made, no special lead. That was hung over the edge, you be the next one. It ain't no saving, you slap the best one. Best no one. matter what, go bananas, outstanding. Red, black, and green bandanas, cock hammers. Uh, no matter what, none of y'all fake, none of y'all safe. If we ain't family or friends, the way on vibrate. No matter what, I don't fake it till I make it. I take it to the limit and break it, represent it. Uh, no matter what, yo, yo. We back again. Scream the name loud. Black, black. And we are back here on the Ryan Show FM. We're pulling ourselves out of the rabbit hole, which we just created right here. Sure if you were did. listening. That's wild stuff. But yeah, we're talking about slavery and the first Africans coming to um, the English colonies in 1619. And they came to a place called uh, um, Old Pleasant Point, Old Point Pleasant which is in Hampton, Virginia, which is where Fort Monroe was now, and it's right on the Chesapeake Bay. Yeah, I kind of got in a deep thing because we were talking about the first slaves to, to come to what turned out to be the United States. Um, there were other stuff at Fort Monroe. Um, one of the other, and here's the irony of Fort Monroe, history so full of ironies. The first enslaved Africans, once again, came in 1619, but in my opinion, in the opinion of many amateur historians, um, maybe some like real historians yeah. would say the be the beginning. People like Benny McRae, um, who's this ninety-year-old amazing amateur historian. Give yourself some damn credit. In, you in, are a real historian. Enough of that. No, no. I know you're a real a real documentarian. Oh, no, 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 no. I can't call myself a real historian because I would have a PhD and I'd be teaching at a university. Fair enough. I guess we'll just do and it. I'd for be you. writing a lot of books. So no. Novice amateurs, you know, that's right. fine. I can actually hold my own with most of them anyway. But, yeah, but for sure. I'm not an official. So, but many people, including, you know, people like Benny McRae and myself, would say that what happened at Fort Monroe in September of 1861 was the beginning of the end of slavery in America. Um, and it's a day that I personally celebrate way more than Juneteenth. Hmm. What happened in September 1861, the Civil War had just begun, and three enslaved men escaped from a plantation, 
rowed across the Chesapeake Bay in, in a boat, they commandeered, and gave themselves up to the Union Army, which at that time was led by General Benjamin Butler. And the plantation owner came to the fort and said to General Butler, I want my property back. And Butler said, no. Uh, and it was the first time that a Union military officer refused to send enslaved people back to their so-called owners. The reason that those Union officers had followed the law then was the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850. There was a law that was passed that said, even when slaves run away and go to the North or wherever they go, if their master goes and says, that's my particular slave, by law, you had to give them back. Butler said, no, I'm not doing it. And when the plantation owner said, well, why not? It's the law. He said, well, for two reasons. So number one, Virginia, where we are, is not part of the United States anymore because you guys seceded from the Union. And number two, we're at war, and you're going to use these men to help your war cause, which means they're contrabands of war. Wow. So I'm not giving them back. And there's a not statue. humans, but contrabands of war. Contrabands of war. And there's a statue of those three men at the education center at uh, Casemate Museum at Fort Monroe. But here's what happened after that. When those three men were allowed to stay, and this is another reason why Juneteenth bugs me, is because believe it or not, the slave community had an amazing communication system. They didn't have radio. They didn't have television. They didn't have CNN. They didn't have telephones. But they had a word-of-mouth communication system, bar none. And guess what? Within months, there were thousands of enslaved African-American people at Fort Monroe. And they let them in, and Fort Monroe began being called Fortress Freedom. Wow. Why? I mean, maybe I, I mean, I'm the last person that was paying attention in school, but why the hell have I never heard that? Well, and then word spread. So all throughout the South, wherever there were Union military, black folk, like they had eyes, they were running away from the plantations and running to where the Union are. And that also is a lot of my USCT that I'm doing a documentary about were former enslaved people who went to the Union side and then the Union trained them to be soldiers. Wow. Because most of the United States Colored Troops, USCT, had been formerly enslaved. So you have this huge metamorphosis. Think about this, though. Yeah. And that's one of the things that hopefully will come out in the documentary. You had people who all of their lives had been slaves. And for people listening to us, Slavery wasn't a thing like it was a hard job and then you had time off and you went home and chilled out. Slavery was 24-7. Your life was not your own. From the time of birth till they put you in the ground when you were dead, you had no choices that were yours as a human being. And you worked whenever people wanted you to work, you did what they wanted you to do, and perhaps they would give you Sunday off. Maybe. 
So you went from being a slave where your life was totally controlled to somebody training you to be a soldier and shoot at and kill your former slave masters all in a matter of months. <sighs> insane. Sounds like the start of a documentary. Absolutely insane. This I'm not to go off on too much of a tangent here, but do they ever have a study on how some of these USCT soldiers assimilated back into society as free men? Is there like a lineage that people can look back on? I wonder how many of our friends and people well, out there have ancestors. A lot of people are descendants. That, I mean, you yeah. know, some of the people that we've interviewed for the documentary are de descendants of, of USCT. But here's what happened in the South. Then we have Reconstruction, the most violent era in American history when it came to being a black man or woman, but especially male in the South. So these former USCT were murdered and brutalized for like, because it was payback. It was revenge. Wow. So once the Union Army left the South under, uh, actually under General, under President, before President Grant, under President Johnson, yeah. um, they eventually basically called the Union Army off. And so the blacks didn't have any protection anymore in the South. And that's where you have the Klan and the, you know, and the, and the white, the white league and all sorts of white organizations killing. And, and then, you know, for a minute during the revolution, during the um, reconstruction, blacks were able to vote and hold office. And now that, that all of that disappeared because once wow. the union army left um, and so it was retribution and, you know, it was almost slavery again because black people were what they call sharecroppers, which is tantamount to slavery. But people had no rights and, uh, yeah, were so, murdered, like, for no reason at all. I mean, insane. You know. And, you know, before we go off, uh, you know, because we could talk all day about Reconstruction. I've been doing a little bit of research. Just probably, Holy like you said, like the worst yeah, just wild. And like, yeah. has it really, I guess, obviously, you know, there's been a lot of laws changed, but like you said, it still lingers on today in so many ways. Now, you also took a trip to the Appomattox courthouse. What was that experience like to stand in a room where the Civil War literally ended? The two biggest figures in the Civil War besides Abe Lincoln sat and ended a war, the war. Um. Yeah, it was another location where, you know, because I was working. The thing I noticed about Appomattox Courthouse, well, okay, so it's the McLean House. Um, there was a wealthy merchant named McLean who just happened to be walking around when all these military people were there. And somebody said, well, we need a place that for both the generals to go to you know, do their business and sign the treaty. And he said, well, you know, you guys are welcome to use the parlor of my home. It was actually McLean's almost summer home, if you will. He was a wealthy uh, merchant. His real home, his real mansion was in Man Manassas, which is in another part of in Northern Virginia, closer to Washington. But he had another home because his wife was from um, Appomattox Courthouse and that was their second home. And he said, well, you guys more than welcome to use my house. Um, and the parlor, which they could, 
this is a living room we'd call today. Really small. I was surprised. Really small. Was, yeah, I, that, that was what took me back. All this room was, but there's to the left is a small table, and that's where Lee sat. And to the right is another small table, and that's where Grant sat. Interesting thing about that is, and you'll see this later because we, we do some on-camera things um, for YouTube. Well, for the documentary, but you'll see it on YouTube. The reason that Lee surrendered at Appomattox Courthouse was because his army was trapped. Um, there had been a succession of Union victories that led Lee to understand that the jig is up. So he had to get the hell out of Virginia to if he was to fight and continue the war. So he was trying to get to North Carolina to join General Joseph P. Johnston and have a bigger army in North Carolina to keep fighting the war. He could not get out of Virginia because they actually had him trapped. And it was USCT uh, who were some of the main people who helped trap him. I mean, they marched. It was a hundred mile running fight for a few days. And they marched so quickly that, I mean, they marched something like 30 miles in a matter of a couple of days on foot. Yeah. And ended up trapping Lee. Um, and he knew he couldn't escape. And that's where, that's when he decided basically the jig is up and I've got to surrender. And so that's where he surrendered his army of Northern Virginia was in that parlor at the McLean house in Appomattox courthouse, Virginia. The other thing, not everybody knew. I remember, you know, not to go off on a tangent again, but when Lee ended the Civil War, I just remember seeing movies back in the day, like Outlaw Josie Wales and other movies. This and is based on a true story, by the way. Great movie, by the way. Love Clint. We'll talk about that later. That's based on a true story, though. But it seems that a lot of people didn't even realize that the war ended. Had he not surrendered at App uh, Appomattox Courthouse, how much longer do you think the war actually would have went on? Well, actually, the war did go on for a period because the word had to spread, and then there were some guerrilla warriors who, like, said to hell with it, we're still going to fight. So, yeah, the war actually went on for a period of time in certain parts. I mean, wow. word had to spread. You did have the telegraph, so, you know, things went out. But but the news, once again, uh, communications wasn't as instant as it is now. So there was some scattered fighting. And then at uh, Palmetto... There's a there's a ranch they call it the Palmetto Ranch in Texas was the last pitch battle of the Civil War. Of course, mm -hmm. it was in Texas, but that's another story. Yeah. But back to the surrendering. So Lee knows he's going to surrender, and he goes, "Okay, I'm going to surrender." And you know, Lee still had a body servant, black man taking care of him, and so he had like totally his uniform was clean and pressed and. He was in his re refinery. Yeah. Grant was like a day away when he got word that Lee wanted to surrender. So Grant had to like hurry up and get the hell to Appomattox Valley. So Appomattox Courthouse. So when he got there, you know, he had mud on his uniform and he was disheveled and kind of typical Grant. So the contrast Hammered. these two yeah. men, you know, got Grant with the cigar in his, you know, yeah. non-smoked cigar in the corner of his mouth who had rushed to get there and Lee who's waiting for him in his pristine, you know, uniform. 
What a what a vision. What an image to think. Yeah. To think that's our By future way, president there. One too. more thing, they kept the USCT out of sight. Uh, because they didn't want to like infuriate the Confederate soldiers. So they kept USCT out of sight. So they kept the black union soldiers out of sight. Out of the sight of Robert E. Lee? Out of the sight of their men, period. They had them wow. like back. Because they didn't want, yeah. Confederates crazy. used to go c- totally crazy when they would see black men in blue uniforms. That's what I can't even imagine. That's why I mean, they hey, started, we, but you know, that's why USCT couldn't give up. Because anytime they would give up in battle, they'd be murdered or put back into slavery. You know, not to go off on a tangent, but we see the hatred in these YouTube comments. Yeah. It still exists. Well, yeah, I'm not surprised. I haven't seen, actually, I want you to send some of them. I haven't seen any of them, but um, I wouldn't be surprised. It's the hornet's nest on there. Well, on our YouTube channel now. This is still a racist country, man. I mean, I didn't realize there's been a few like times in life that I've really, it's opened my eyes. And I'll tell you, having a YouTube channel, that's one of them, especially putting out history content. My God. Hey, oh, yeah. Well, and that's why I, the people who know me, because now, you know, I watch quite a bit of news. And I'm not, I can't say if the word is amused, but I'm kind of puzzled, I'll say, at so many news stories that people are aghast that there's anti-Semitism on uh, American universities. And people are like, oh, my God, anti-Semitism is just so awful. What? And they try to attribute it to the Hamas-Israeli war. And I know a lot of people aren't going to like to hear this, but I could care less. America's always been racist, and it's always been anti-Semitic. This is nothing new. All of this anti-Semitism was going on. It was going on in the 30s and the 20s. It is nothing new. And we've talked about this before, but, you know, full disclosure, my son-in-law, whose birthday it is today, is Jewish. Um, So I've got grandchildren who are are half Jewish, uh, who I love to death. But yeah, anti-Semitism has been going on since. And one of these days, we're going to have to do something on a ship called the St. Louis. I definitely want to learn more about that. But just ask Walt Disney, right? I mean, how about this? America let in so many Nazis to help with their space program after the war. After the war, a lot of these German... Psychopaths were assimilated into America. Von Braun is the, you know, Werner von Braun is the most famous. Yeah. Um, and he was actually in Alabama and lived like a, you know, I mean, they treated these people like kings. Because uh, they, a lot. yeah. Well, they were Great. scientists and they really, they were real worried, first of all, about the Nazis perfecting. They were worried about, uh, you know, the Nazis using the atom bomb, using, you know, nuclear weapons before the u.s so uh but they ended up getting yeah so when berlin fell there was a rush into berlin and the soviets got as many german scientists as they could and so did the u.s and great britain that's right yeah there was a race to get those scientists and the ones that the u.s got of course they treated quite well gave a lot of money in big houses because they 
They wanted their, their brain power. But a lot of Nazis went to uh, Brazil and Argentina also who weren't scientists. Yeah. The ones that, that were on the lamb, the ones right. that were running and avoiding the war crimes and atrocities they right. committed, they seemed to go to South America. Right. Particularly Brazil and Argentina. Yeah. Wild times, Joseph. Wild times. But overall, how would you say that your views on not just slavery, but on America have changed since making this documentary? Oh, I don't know if they have. Um, I, I mean, that's hard to answer. I mean, I, I guess, well, I just got through reading some things about, do you know the Battle of the Crater? No. Do you know anything about the crater? Never heard of the Battle of the Crater, no. Well, the crater's part of the Battle of Petersburg. Okay. Did you ever see the movie um, Cold Mountain? Yes, I have seen Cold Mountain. Okay, so that's that's basically. So the crater, okay. remember that battle where mm -hmm. they mined, they put dynamite under the, they, they dug these mines and they put dynamite Pennsylvania miners. Yeah. Dynamite. Well, it created a great crater. Remember the explosion? Okay. Well, when USCT went in, the crater actually put them in a poor position where they were down in the crater and the Confederates were up top. Long story short, it was a massacre. They slaughtered them. Wow. So I was just reading some of the things that the uh, Confederates were saying when they massacred, wounded, and unarmed black soldiers. Um, pretty horrific stuff. Um, once again, they were outraged at these black soldiers in blue uniforms. And uh, yeah, they killed them in mass. But reading what they had to say was just, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if, if any of that changed me. It just, that our friend Nate Brown just called me before we did this show because he just saw um, Killers of the Flower Moon, which I recommend everybody see this movie. It's a hard movie to take for a lot of reasons. But Nate called. and Have you seen it yet? No, I've never seen it. You know what it's about? No. Okay, so real quickly here. There was an Osage Native American tribe in northwestern Oklahoma. They had originally had been in Kansas. They were forced out of Kansas, and they were put on reservations and given this land in northwestern Oklahoma that was supposed to be, like, worthless. They gave them this land, hardly good land, a farmer ranch. Yeah. Long story short, all this uh, oil is discovered on their land. So all of a sudden, these Osage become some of the wealthiest people in the world. This was in the okay. 1920s. And I'll encapsulize this, but the movie is about the murder of all these Osage that owned all this property and how white people were murdering them for their oil money. Insane. Anyway, that's, what, that's what the movie's about. Killers of the Flower Moon. It's also the beginning of the FBI. Oh. Yeah. Hoover, who had just sort of been in charge of the FBI, ended up sending agents into Oklahoma to, to try to solve these murders. And they wow. were killing Osage. Every kind of way you could kill somebody, they were killing them. It was pretty awful. And Insane. it began in 1923. 
the irony is, is that once again, I was in Oklahoma. The just the Tulsa massacre in Oklahoma was in 1921. Wow. So that whole period of um, racial murder and hatred was real big in Oklahoma in the 1920s. But the movie is about the killing of the Osage. If you get a chance, go see it. Gotta uh, check it it's out. A, it's a Martin Scorsese movie. So, uh, oh, it's it came out recently, right? With Robert De Niro yeah. and and oh, I and didn't realize that was so about Leonardo okay. DiCaprio, and everybody's getting nominated for every award there is. A Native American woman who's the star of the film, one of the stars, Lily Gladstone, she's going to get nominated for an Oscar. That's different but, than the usual Scorsese movie, right? Are you used to our favorite mob movies and action? Yeah, crime movies. This is about a, this is about crime and the mob, though, but just a, a different mob. Wow, I feel like I talked about it with you once. I didn't realize that was the name of it. Wow, yeah. crazy. Yeah. Anyway, well, Joe, he called me about that because he was he's seen it and now he's outraged. <laughs> and now he's outraged. I know we're going to be talking about on what's going on this week. Yeah. Oh man. So, I mean, just to kind of wrap things up. And for those that I know you're a very busy man, you got a lot going on today. When can we look forward to seeing this documentary? We've been talking about it a lot. Is there any prediction on when the final version is coming out for us to check out? Oh, I'd say it's at least two years away. First of all, I still have, you know, I'm doing this on my own money. So I'm still looking for funding to do it in mass and to do it the way it needs to be done. Now, is there a way for people to help make this documentary happen faster? You say you mentioned you're doing this on your own budget. I'm sure there are people that would want to put their money into something like this, preserving history, putting out a great documentary. Is there a way people can go and do that, that are listening? I don't have anything set up and, you know, and I want to protect anybody who would want to donate their money, make sure it's going to the right purpose we got to do a gofundme joseph we got to do some type of uh fundraiser well, you know, i don't have anything tag. set up yet i would want to once again both protect myself legally yeah. but also protect people who would want to donate money to make sure that they're you know for them to know that their money is going to a proper you know the, the right sense. place the making of the film so no i don't have anything set up yet so that's something that needs to be worked on well, it would definitely make sense. But Joe, I want to thank you for coming on today. So much great content. We're going to actually, anybody that's listening right now, Joe has filmed himself, you know, back in his former life, was doing television news. And we've got some great TV news-esque clips coming to the Ryan Show YouTube page of Joseph checking out where the first Africans landed in America as slaves and the Appomattox Courthouse. Also, the road oh. where Lee was stopped. Right. And also... We're in the museum um, where there's uh, three statues of those enslaved African-Americans, uh, which led to the end of slavery. So a lot to check out and go to official black truth on Instagram to follow Joe's Instagram. And I have a feeling that in 2024, we're going to see a lot more action on his social media side. But hey, man, I really appreciate you as always. So much great insight into this country and what's going on. As the listeners here know, this is truly a study on American culture. And what better guy to have on that really knows what he's talking about? Real historians are boring. Real historians aren't energetic like you, Joe. I'd rather have you on any day of the week. There's some great real historians out there. Send them, send them our way, maybe. <laughs>
There's some well, great out there. Yeah. So everybody keep tuning in. We've got more good stuff coming your way. We're going to take it in a totally different direction. We're hitting the full spectrum today, Joe. This is the Ryan Show FM. Joseph Hilson Studio. Well, this is the opportunity, Ryan. I'll we'll be back soon. Nobody go anywhere, folks. Misses in the Pacific, amazing spit radiation when I'm blazing. The Mary Jane got my eyes looking Asian with no persuasion. Spit tracks of information. Them whack raps get you back smacked across the nation. A criminal individual spitting subliminal until the 40 get rid of you during the interview is critical. I'm the pit of me about your pinnacle. I'll leave you in critical condition when I spit at you. Rip is hustling crack until they money up. Backpacking, cracking the sack until the sun be up. Backcracking, clapping the Mac until the gun be up. Matter of fact, I'm clapping the gag until you hover up everywhere like COVID-19. I'm like a dream till you lean and you seen in a hospital machine. A physician give you the streets what they've been missing. We in need deep spit heat. We the commission. Youngin'. Motherfuckers straight duckin' when I come through. Cause when yeah. they take bliss, I hot you and bless you to the next dimension. If it's my name you mention, listen. Look, my shots riddle your block crippled, of course. We my Pop pistols, you cop nickels and scorch weed. Block on official, the cop crystals is costly. Glock on missile, my shots whistle, get off me. We strategists, rap catalysts at his maximus. My activists are activating rap on paralysis. Young me doing this is way back. Your bitch wanna top me, cause my jewels are on rocky like ASAPs. The top soldier shot spit, flipping your drop over. Your clicker turns when it lift out the Glock holster. Yeah. My wrist is all lit, like my got stockholders. Yeah. Bullet spit sick, like that fifth got Glock homers. About to be a Body. I'm inside that from the Tommy. The shotty got more kick than karate. Cause I be plotting while you sitting in your lobby. It's homicide. I bust eclipses a hobby. It's over. Get straight duck in when I come yeah. through. Cause when that tick blaze, yeah. we'll hot you and bless you to the next dimension. If it's my name, you mention. Listen. We be the information. If it's my name, you mention. Listen. I'm from a crime family. We got polite manners, but we might pop hammers. Paparazzi flash cameras. I was in a bronze phantom. I broke oaths with celibate shorties. I'm from a broken home. We only link when putting fam on the soil. Money satisfied like half of my mood. Then there's a part of me that's distant, quiet, dangerous. Put my pain into Ableton. I spin a 38 like a dreidel or make a hater flip. Loose change fly out his pockets. The shell cases spit. Throughout my halo, put some chips on the table. I give you a bitch a souvenir. She sniffs from Barbados. Give two to about your clicking if you inked with a label. Loose lips sink ships, make situations that's fatal. To the autumn Basquiat, to the block, I'm still same old. Campanelli lobster tail, sprinkle parsley and basil. This for my dogs locked in cages or locks on their ankle. We can make fortunes together, but it take two to tango. I gotta get it. Motherfucker straight duck in when I come through. Cause when that tick blizzard, yeah, I hot you and bless you to the next dimension. If it's my name, you mention. Listen.
back at it though. <laughs> if it's my name you mention, listen. The world famous. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everything in between, we are back again. Another study on the American culture continues, and enough of the dark subject of slavery and the Appomattox courthouse and all the other crazy things that we did with Joseph Hill. It's time that we get into the good old-fashioned apple pie and baseball, and who better to bring on than my pal, who is one of the greatest pitchers in the history of this goddamn island, Franco Van Durka, fellow Yankee fan, here to celebrate the acquisition of Juan Soto with me, Franco. What's cracking, baby? Oh, man. What's going on, brother? How good does that feel? The acquisition of Juan Soto. I couldn't have imagined it in my wildest dreams. I think it was you that I spoke to, and we determined the greatest thing that could happen this, this whole offseason in baseball would be the Yankees get Juan Soto and Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Am I saying that right? Wow. Look at you, kid. Did I say it right? On the, on the nose. Really? Yeah. Wow. See, see that? I, I at least I got the Yoshi part right. That's like the one Japanese thing I'm familiar with. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, besides sushi, of course. <laughs> but wow, Juan Soto, the best player in baseball under the age of 25 years old. What gets me? Aaron Judge played his rookie year when he was 25 years old. So now we've yeah. got a guy coming to the Yankees who's won a World Series, was the best player out there on the field, it looked like, mm -hmm. when they won that World Series, the Washington Nationals, that is, in 2020. Or was that 2019? 20... And then he came back in 2020 and had the batting title. Yeah. Well, regardless, yep, yep, yep. my man's an absolute beast. Went to the Padres. And I remember when he went to the Padres, I thought it was over. I didn't think there would be a chance in hell that the Padres lost Juan Soto. After giving up what they gave up in the first place to get him, the fact that he's now a New York Yankee, I'm still just amazed, shocked. Can't even believe it's real. Yeah, it's. Uh, it really is something. Something it, it, We're going to remember, you know, the, the off season of 2023 going into 2024. I mean, think about when's when do you remember where you were when the Yankees acquired John Carlos Stanton? If I remember correct, I was recording this uh, an episode of the Ryan show when, when if I remember correct. Yeah. If I remember really? correct, it was like right around that time. But man, yeah, like you said, it's just one of those moments that you'll always remember. And this is a different type of memory for me because look, he wasn't, he was in the prime of his career but you knew, and I remember thinking when we got John Carlos Stanton that this might not end well. And, you know, there's kind of that feeling right now because they're calling it a one-year rental. He's going to have to go into free agency at the end of the season. But I feel like being a part of the Yankees and playing under those lights and the love that the fans are going to give this guy, plus, of course, the amount of money that the Yankees have by not signing Shohei Otani, I feel yep. like there's a very good chance uh, that Juan Soto stays. So I just feel like this is the A-plus blockbuster move. It sucks that we had to give up Michael King, one of the greatest pitchers that we've had in the past few years. But let's be honest, Michael King for Juan Soto and some prospects, guys that aren't even proven, Drew Thorpe, see ya, as yeah. Michael K would say. Yep. I don't all know, day. man. I'm just hyped about this one. That That's all day for me, man. You know, talking to a couple of my buddies, they, you know, they love Michael King. You know, a lot of my friends, are, are, are they are Yankee fans, and they love Michael yeah. King. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, you know what? Michael King, very small sample size. For me, that's that's it's no brainer. It really is an absolute no brainer to add him into that 
Higashioka. See you later. As much as as much as you love Higgy, but sometimes you got you got to lose some guys that the fans love in order to you know get to where you want to get. And for us, you know, this seems like it's an all in year. Juan Soto, like you said, rental. You know, he's a one year rental. Now, let's say we do win the World Series. Does that add so much to his resume and so much more potential for him getting a bigger contract somewhere else? Maybe, but I'll still take that 2024 World Series uh, in, in the left in in the left field on a nice little banner, though. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. And, and what gets me is for all these years, what has been killing me is that the Yankees are not spending money and not playing to win. Now, the Yankees should never be playing to win in a season. Or to win down the road. They should be playing to win now. That's just part of the franchise allure. And I think that's what would make a guy like Yamamoto want to join the Yankees. Is that they're in win now mode. A lot of people are saying, oh, he might be a New York Met when this is all said and done. But why would a guy want to continue down the path of a loser franchise? That yeah. is constantly going back to the drawing board. No matter who the owner is. I'm sorry, Steve Cohen. I don't care how much money you're throwing at people. I mean, we talk about this all the time, Franco, the pride of the Yankees, and it looks like slowly it's being restored. So, I mean, what would you rate, say the Yankees don't get Yamamoto, what would you rate the Yankees offseason so far going into next year? I mean, it's regardless, it's still a great offseason when you acquire someone like Juan Soto, a generational kind of talent. There are still, you know, a bunch of arms out there, and two of which I really Really wouldn't mind Jordan Montgomery being one of them. I would love for them to bring him back. You know, after after him getting the experience on the big stage, winning the World Series, I feel like he's going to have the most confidence he's ever had in his entire career. So to come back to New York and just show out in New York media would be unbelievable for him. Um, another one, Blake Snell. I've always hated on Blake Snell. I, I really have. And I'm kind of at the point where, you know, I dropped him in fantasy second weekend. And he wins the Cy Young. So now I'm sitting here like, you know what? This guy's doing something right. He he, he pitches. He hasn't pitched in the big game. We haven't seen him pitch in the big game yet like that where he, where he has success. But Blake Snell would be a huge harm to have in that, in that staff, man. Nice little lefty on, on, on the side. That's but, what we need. I mean, I know we have Rodon, but lefties are always good. We don't, especially in the middle of the rotation, if you look now, yep. there's not that many lefties on the Yankees right now. No. So, and that's the one thing that we need power. I mean, especially with that, uh, you know, that porch. We need some some good lefties on it. Uh, but you know, there's rumors that Blake Snell might be a Red Sox come the end of this off season, which would just make me hate him even more. I yeah. mean, it's already bad enough when he was in the East already. <laughs> Very frustrating. Uh, but you do mention that there's some other arms out there. Before we get into some of these Japanese pitches, because I want to kind of go into it. Because to those that are just listening, Franco's not just a radio host in the over on what's going on. Fox Sports Radio, uh, you know, every Sunday we're doing the show. We're building this brand behind the scenes. But Franco has pitched in the College World Series. Franco has pitched no hitters in Division One baseball. Yes, so, sir, yeah. you know, this guy knows what he's talking about. So, uh, you know, that being said... Trevor Bauer is still out there right now. And we know that there's kind of a very volatile history with Garrett Cole. But I always thought Bauer was going to be a really great pitcher. And he never, never really pitched to his potential up until the last few years of his uh, of his MLB career, where he won a Cy Young Award. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then he you know got in a little bit of trouble. But it turns out that this woman was essentially lying, was, was uh, you know making things up to get this guy in trouble. And now this guy appears to be blackballed. 
However, there are some rumors that there's a chance he could be wearing pinstripes by the end of this offseason. What are your thoughts on the Yankees picking up Trevor Bauer from Japan? Man, that what a move that would be. You want to be the evil empire? Go pick up Trevor Bauer. That's what you do. You go, go pick up Trevor Bauer and then on the on, and then have him and Yamamoto get on the same train, get on the same plane, and land the same day. Go out to lunch, bring whoever they want, and call it a day. I, I again, he, uh, Trevor Bauer is another one that I love him on the. I love him on the field. He's a great pitcher. Off the field, he's a little out there. You know, I've played with psycho psychopath. I play with plenty of guys that are like that. Some of which I loved. You know, you you have love for everyone on your team. There's just some guys you don't yeah. go to get food with. You know what I mean? Like that's that. <laughs> but you know, Trevor Bauer. It's just like you said. Um, he has been blackballed. So these and the, but the reports, you know, all all these reports coming out about this woman, you know, falsifying all these statements. It's almost like you know. Ricky Williams and, and and Ricky Williams and Josh Gordon, you know, getting these, you know, getting these penalties for you know consumption of marijuana, and now weed is legal in NFL. So it's like, why are they getting? Why are they not getting like the, uh, anything back? This lady is lying. Where where what am I missing here? You know, if the guy can still pitch, the guy can still get outs. Just don't <laughs> let him date your sister. Yeah, exactly. Just let him play baseball. <laughs> keep him away from the family and call it a day. Yeah, just and he pitched well in Japan. For what it's worth, like I was looking at some of the highlights, and he's what's uh, one thing that Trevor Bauer is known for, especially from baseball fans, is his YouTube. Yep, and he's yep, very yep. active, just vlogging and putting his life out there. And when I watch him out there, it it does make me feel like he's kind of grown as a person. He's more likable. I mean, the guy's been humbled more than anybody I've ever seen. Let's be honest here. Yeah, it's like humbled, but how do you? How are you not like? So angry. You know, how are you not? Oh, like, I guess that's what got him in trouble in the first place. Is getting so angry. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess so, right? <laughs> when a few you look times at it. in life, and it's season. I, I just so maybe something's working. Yeah, it's just for me. You know, the, I would love to see a guy like Trevor Bauer somehow make his way back to the MLB, come back to the United States, have a great season, and then you know continue on his path that he's been on. You know, he was a catalyst for a lot of pitchers, man. You know, we grew up. In the same in the same you know era, everyone knew who Trevor Bauer was. He was reinventing the long toss game. He was reinventing how to gain miles per hour. You know, so as a pitching coach, all these all these parents want their kids to come every time they bring their kid. How do, how are they going to throw harder? A lot of guys are just like, well, you know, there's no there's no one set way. Trevor Bauer in California made a, a set way of gaining velocity. And it really, really transpired to a lot of kids. So, he, like I said, he's a catalyst. So, bringing someone back like him, I, I do think he deserves it, especially after all these reports that are coming out. So, to see him in pinstripes, though, oof! I just remember beating him back in the uh, what was it, the pennant, when he uh, came in Game Seven, or was that the ALDS Game Five? I don't remember. That was uh, two thousand. I think it was the ALDS, if I remember correct. Game Five. I just remember coming up on him. Yep, yep. It's tough, man. But, big games. You know, he, he, once again, like his last two seasons before he left Major League Baseball, he killed it on the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. Pitched to a 2.59 ERA, and then, as we know, won the Cy Young Award with Cincinnati. Pitched to a 1.73 ERA, albeit there wasn't a full season, yep. but killed it during that whole COVID era, that COVID era baseball while nobody was really watching. 
don't know. I've got faith. I think the real question is, though, do you want to piss off your ace? Do you want to get Garrett Cole mad? I know that it was a long time ago, but I mean, it's like you said, there's some guys on your team that you might not want to get lunch with, might not want to win a World Series with even. Yep. I don't know. I think that might be a determining factor, too. But there are some uh, rumbles and some rumors churning in the trade mill and the rumor mill, I guess you could say, about Trevor Bauer. So before we get into the potential uh, you know, greatest Yankee pitcher on the roster to replace Garrett Cole as he ages, which hopefully doesn't anytime soon, uh, I'm going to try it again. Yoshi... Yoshihito Yamamoto. All right. <laughs> Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Yoshinobu. Oh, man. Yeah, it's like yeah. all the favorite things I like about sushi That's and it. Mario in one. Okay. <laughs> We're going to get into this. Franco Vanderk is in studio. We're going to come back, talk some more baseball. Nobody go anywhere. Follow Franco at the Francosphere on Instagram and go to his YouTube page, the Francosphere. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. We're, of course, the oven. He hosts a great THC infused podcast. We've been high as hell watching it. I've been watching the oven nonstop. The oven mini is out now. Shouts to my boy Mario as well. We'll yes, be back sir. soon. Nobody go anywhere. This is the Ryan Show FM, and we shall return. Yeah, you so Tell not the bottom. I'ma lose my money in it. Crazy, I'ma do obligato. Get the rubbing on my lap. Get the chili out the bottom. Get up. Get up. Girl, gon' back it up Pipe up, I'ma pipe up Making mine, I done fell in love Choose it thing, make the sign One more time, baby, do it big Make it cry, come boo who this Yeah, you supermodel thing Tell it, bustin' out the bottom I'ma lose my mind in it if I pull up with a Kerry Washington, that's gonna be an enormous scandal. I could have Naomi Campbell, and still might want me a Stormy Daniels. Sometimes you gotta bag the boss up. I call that ticket Corey Gambles. Find yourself up in the food court, you might have to enjoy your sample. All these thoughts on Chris and Mingle, almost what got Tristan single. If you don't ball like him or Kobe, guaranteed that gonna leave you. Hey, time is extremely valuable. And I prefer to waste it on girls is basic. That's just some yay shit. Right now, let's do what we want. Let's have a threesome, you, you and the blunt. I love your cause they prove I could focus on two things at once. I'ma lose my money in it. Crazy, I'ma do a little obligato. Get the rubbing on my lap. Get the chili out the bottom. Get the chili out the bottom. Let me hit it raw like f the outcome. Hey, none of us will be here without much. Hey, if it ain't all about the income, hey, let me see you go ahead and spend some. Hey, if you driving round in some dry fit, hey, I'ma think that you the type to dry snitch. If I see you pull up with the three stripes, hey, hey I'ma f. Go around and make you my, my Then bustin' out the bottom I'ma lose my money in it Crazy, I'ma do a little obligato Get the rubbing on my lap Get the chini out the bottom Get the chini out the bottom And we are back talking baseball uh, Right here on the Ryan Show FM The Yoshinobu Yamamoto Or Yoshinobu Yamamoto sweepstakes continue Into today Monday, December 11th at 9 o'clock p.m. If you're listening to the show on Thursday, you damn well know where he is already, I would imagine. But wow, these sweepstakes are hot. 
I don't know where Yamamoto is going to go, but I will say this. If the Yankees acquire him and put together Yamasoto in the offseason, I rated an A+. But, Franco, I must ask you this, Mr. Franco Vanderka, pitching expert and host of the Oven podcast, as well as what's going on at Fox Sports Radio. What do you think about Yamamoto pitching as well as he is in Major League Baseball as he's been doing in Japan? Do you think that this is really going to translate? Is the hype real? Well, for me, you know, these guys over in Japan and, and not for nothing in a lot of foreign countries, they play team baseball. Well, they get they get on for the next guy. They're still bunting. They have, you know, defensive plays that they work on. This, you know, Yamamoto is a generational talent. It, it, he is, dude, so we talked about seven pro seasons overseas in Japan, right? He has thrown 967.2 innings to a 1.72 ERA, striking out 986 batters. So just if a little bit of that, just just give me a little bit. Let a little bit of that trans let a little bit of that transpire and, and come with him. If if that comes with him, he is gonna be very, very successful. Because you have he to pitched think, well in the classic. Yeah, he did. He really did. And that and that's a huge stage for a lot of these guys. So for me, if he can come over and just a little bit of his talent translates, especially in the in year one. He's going to be very successful because think about how many how many times a year these guys strike out. You know they're not playing this team baseball. They're playing they're playing baseball in order to get a contract. They're trying to hit, they're trying to hit the ball and see it go four hundred and fifty feet. You know they they don't care about striking out two hundred times a year. So these guys that are trying to hit the ball all over you know trying to get on base, Yamamoto shutting down. Imagine what he's going to do when he comes over here. It's going to be a whole new ball game for these guys. Now, can the same thing be said for some of this other Japanese talent? Because what always gets me is, you know, and I guess you do see it in, say, the NBA when some of these guys dominate over in Europe and come over here. For instance, Luca was an absolute stud over in yeah. Europe, comes over here, is still a beast. But uh, it always surprises me in baseball. I mean, Japan's a very small island. You know what I mean? There's not that many people there. And so many of these guys are just so incredibly great and then come to America and the success translates. Mine is my favorite pitcher, of course, Hideki Arabu. Did all right for a year there. I think you I'm just always like going to be going to that for my boy Arabu. I think you just uh, like his name, bro. I, maybe that's the only one I actually remember is Hideki Arabu. That's probably what it is. But for what it's worth, what can you attribute that level to success to, even though they're playing in a much smaller pool of players? And, you know, they say MLB is the greatest collection of talent in the world. Why are these guys coming over here and dominating the way that they are? They love the game, man. They play the game of baseball. You know, it's for a lot of them, for a lot of these guys you see come over here, it's their life. They're just playing baseball. They're not over there playing football. They're not over there playing basketball. They're playing baseball 12 months out of the year, whether it's indoor or outdoor. It doesn't matter. These guys are getting their reps in, and that's what they do. You know, they are not playing any other sports. So these guys over here, you know, they, they and they're athletic, these Japanese guys. every You know, all these guys in the baseball now, in really all, you know, sports, professional sports, they're all athletes, you know, a lot of these guys. But you see a lot of the guys over here now, you know, who's playing, who grows up being a three-sport athlete, four-sport athlete. So... The guys that really are the best of the best over there, when they come over here, they really shine just because I, I feel like the game of baseball over there is really taught the right way. 
So we could take notes there. We could actually probably take notes from what they're doing over here. And that's a really good point you make because a lot of the uh, athletes in America, they play multiple sports in high school. I mean, even some of the greats like LeBron could have been in the NFL, was a a great wide receiver. You know, as we see Michael Jordan, as much as we give him a hard time, he still did play professional baseball. It was good enough to play. Yep. So, I mean, you got Deion Sanders, Willie Willie Randolph. You know, yeah, Willie Willie Randolph was drafted in three sports. That I didn't, I didn't know he was drafted in three sports. That's why. Yep. I'm pretty, who is it? Um, Wild. I mean, even right now we have uh, we have our boy who's wearing the uh, the man bra over in Arizona. Um, I'm having a mental block right now because he's not playing this year. The little guy, Kyle Murray. Uh, oh, Kyler, Kyler Murray. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. Kyler Murray uh, drafted by the Oakland Athletics. Fourth overall. Fourth overall. Yeah, that's you know. Imagine that. Like you see the amount of money that you can make in baseball. Why even take the risk? In football, when you're drafted fourth in Major Dude. League Baseball, I, I was I mean, very, I was very confused by, by his choice. I mean, other than the fact that you get drafted in football, you go and play football. You know, in the NFL, yeah. you know, these guys getting drafted in baseball, it sometimes it takes them. You know, who who it takes five years, who it takes three years, who never makes it. You know, we True. like we've had this conversation. Like, when's the last time at the first, like the first overall pick in baseball has actually really become. A, 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 an all-time great it's true yeah actually i would like to look up that list um and take a look and see because yeah that's a definitely a very good point you make it's very very hard as we pull up this list we might as well really quick so i know it's a little harder to look at who was just drafted last year paul skeens or skeenis yeah skeens skeens yeah, that's right yeah, he's yeah, looking like, like a beast too at lsu, LSU. yep yep He's got a strong. So, he's got a strong mustache too. I love that kid. Love a strong mustache. Mm-hmm. They got to keep the mustache alive. I'm trying, Jackson bro. Holiday I'm trying. With the Orioles. Yeah, Jackson That's Holiday. That's the son, right, of Matt Holiday. If I yes, remember sir. correct. So there's a and, chance that there's a chance that he's going to crack the forty man, th- like this year. Which you know, that would, Orioles team, man. Uh, you know, we we have all this talk about the Yankees being the best team. We still have to beat the Orioles after what they did this year. And I know that, like, you look at the names in that lineup, and it looks like it's. Look, which we're going to go over in a sec. We're going to go over this Yankee lineup. And we're going to flex on all of you Red Sox fans and all the Orioles fans out there. But to continue this list, we got Henry Davis with the Pirates, the catcher with the Pirates. Spencer Torkelson in 2020, third baseman for the Tigers in the system still. Mm-hmm. Adley Rushman, catcher for the Orioles. And what year was that? 2019. Was 2019, okay. Uh, we've got Casey Mize, a pitcher for the Tigers in 2018. Royce Lewis, shortstop for the Twins in 2017. Mickey Moniak, outfielder for the Phillies in 2016. And then finally, a name that most people can recognize, Dansby Swanson, shortstop when he was drafted by the Diamondbacks in 2015. So it's like you said, it's very rare for it to happen. I mean, as you keep going down, you're going to see less and less. We got Brady Aiken for the Astros in 2014. Yep. Uh, Mark Appel for the Astros 2013. So that kid, Mark Appel, he was at, he actually, it was, is he Stanford, right? Does it say? He, yep, he played for Stanford. Stanford. Yep. So, yo, so this kid, Mark Appel, um, I didn't know him, but I, I wanted to, I would love to still speak to him just to, just to see how he is as a person because he was drafted the year before that when he was drafted first overall. He was drafted, I want to say third or fourth overall. 
and decided because he wasn't drafted first overall, he wasn't going to the MLB. Wow. And then the next, the very next year, he was drafted first overall. Do you understand the, the, the size of the cojones you have to have to just be like, ah, oh, you could draft me again next year? But what's the point? What's the perk of being drafted first besides never making it? Uh, honestly, man, yeah, and <laughs> never making it. There's no, there's no, for me, you could have given me a plane ticket and a box of baseballs to rub up, and I would have been over there. And this kid's like, ah, oh, yeah, I'll, I'm going to turn this down so you can pick me up first. But it's just insane to me. Yeah, I mean, great talent, never made it, but but still great talent. Like, and that's the thing that I mean, especially as a pitcher, it's the most volatile position. You know, we we talk about running backs yep. being a volatile position in sports. I mean, how hard is it to make it as a pitcher? It's just <laughs> insane to me. Correa was drafted in 2012, number one okay. by the Astros, and that seemed to pan out well. And the guy before that, R. A. Garrett Cole. Pitched by or uh, picked by our farm system, the Pittsburgh Pirates in 2011. So we could, so we could probably start that generational talent list, or you know, even just being a first overall draft pick and being a, a, a number one player. Like I guess 2011 Garrett Cole, or we could maybe say 2000. What'd you say, 19 Adley Rutschman? There's a few uh, now. As we go down the list, we're seeing more names kind of pan out. Bryce Harper was drafted number one, one of the most touted prospects in history. Mm-hmm. Drafted by the Nationals. Um, you know, as we know, Bryce Harper, not the best player in baseball, although I was saying it, watching how amazing he's been playing in the postseason the last couple yep. of years. Steven Strasburg, legend, short career, hurt himself. But I Non-stop. mean, I mean, in his prime, one of the best pitchers I've ever seen. Yep. Yeah, he he was so he was so good, man. He just he's another one that he he was like ahead of his time. You know, he was throwing the yeah. ball so hard and so many repetitions over and over and over again. And he, he just, he found himself being hurt all the time. And, and you Sucks, hate to see man. that. You hate to see that for some guys. You hate to see it for anyone, you know, any, yeah. any, any athlete get hurt. But for someone like him, you know, that, that just, but the resiliency to just keep coming back and coming back, it, you know, it speaks volumes, but I'm, I'm a big Steven Strasburg fan. Me too. And I still have hope that maybe someday, cause he, for what it's worth, he's on a huge contract still. If I'm not mistaken, right? With the Nationals, didn't they? He signed some ridiculous contract after they won that World Series, and he just hasn't come back since. Unless they cut him, I, I'm pretty sure Strasburg is under some crazy contract. Yeah, he's, all right, so he's, he's being paid $35 million annually through 2026. Really? Okay. Yeah. Lucy Scherzer is still like, like their number two paid guy over there, too, in uh, Washington, right? Yeah, that's right. And he's still I saw some crazy stat that he's the like almost the top paid player on three different teams right now. Yeah. The Mets, the Nationals, the Nationals. and the and I guess the Rangers. And the Rangers, yep. So, I mean, if you go back and you look on this number 1 list. Now, what do you attribute this to? It seemed like they were actually coming a little closer with the number 1 picks 10 years ago, David Price in 2007. Um, oh God, David Price. Yeah, but then I mean, honestly, great, Franco. Great then guy, you keep man. going down, and there's more of these unknown guys. You know what I'm yep. saying? 2002, Brian Bullington for the Pirates. 2003, Delman Young for the Rays. Uh, 2004, Matt Bush for the Padres. So I guess you know what? Before I guess, oh no, there we got Justin Upton. 2005, he had a pretty great career, I'd say. Yeah, oh yeah, Justin, his brother BJ. They were always fun to watch. 
You know BJ stood for Boss Man Jr., right? He's what? So his brother BJ Upton? Yeah. You know BJ stood for Boss Man Jr., right? That's amazing. I had no idea. I knew BJ. I didn't know that's what it stood for. Makes me like him so much more. Boss Man Jr. <laughs> Damn, I, I can't steal the idea, but that is genius. You right. know your kid's going to be a boss man if you literally name him Boss Man. He has to be. Boss Man Jr. I don't know if that so was his actual- So Boss Man was his I father? Think, I don't think- No, I don't even think it has anything to do with his real name. I think- he just named himself BJ, and it was Bossman Jr. Oh, my God. So he declared his own name was BJ. Okay. Yeah. It makes me That's like him amazing. a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. I like, you know, a lot of people hate on those that make their own nickname, but if you're going to make it that ridiculous, hats off to you, brother. <laughs> you Call can. yourself Bossman Jr. for uh, BJ. That's amazing. God, making up your own nickname. It's so bad. It's ridiculous. All right, so... Just kind of bring things around here full circle. Uh, you know, the Yankees got Juan Soto in the offseason. The evil empire has returned. This is one of the strongest Yankee lineups that we've seen in a really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, now they just have to go out on the field and make it happen. The evil empire seems to be back. But before we wrap things up, we do have to talk about Shohei Otani deferring $680 million in this deal. We all saw that it was the biggest deal in North American sports history. million over 10 years. And now to, you know, make it like you couldn't make it any more ridiculous to get paid $2 million a year and put the rest off so that you can build a World Series championship team each year. I don't know if we've ever seen anything like this in any sport. What he's doing right now, the level of discipline to live off a measly $2 million a year. I mean, what are your thoughts on this big move by Shohei? Well, he gets paid like fifty thousand, like fifty. I want to say fifty million dollars plus in just endorsements over in Japan, anyway. So I think the two million dollar pay cut is almost like a Tom Brady move. You know, taking a pay cut, bring on one or two more, you know, pieces to the puzzle. Win that, win that Super Bowl, aka win that World Series. You know, it, it's a, it's a really, really good move. It's it's crazy to think about, but. He's just he's pulling a Bobby Benilla. He's getting paid no matter what, <clears throat> whether it's overtime or whether it's tomorrow. And he's deferring all this money to open up cap space. And man, imagine they go and land someone like a Yamamoto. I'm yeah, against yeah. It, man. I know. I'm it's... Against it. all right. That was the first thing I thought was that they're gonna go for Yamamoto. Or they're going to go for the other Japanese sensation, sensation which is technically is not even available at this point, but it's looking like he's trying to fight his way out of contract. Yep. Yeah. We I, just said his name. Uh yes. Um, Sasaki. Sasaki. Yeah, Sasaki. Yeah. Kiro Sasaki. Um, it's it's kind of crazy because I don't know exactly what it what the 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 prereqs are now over in over in uh, the MPB, but it seems like they're allowed to ask for. You know, early um, termination of that that nine year you know contract that they would sign with the MPB in order to become an international free agent. So that would be pretty nuts if that you know moving forward, you know, because you could have all these young kids. You know, you could have had you, know, you could have had Shohei Otani six years ago. You know, wow, it's it's crazy to think about all these guys come up when they're older. But if these if these young kids want to come over when they're twenty one, twenty two. Man, you could that. That's a lot of years of winning, man. That's a lot of years of being a contender. It's but that's change just what the that, landscape of Major League Baseball. Like how how do you yeah. think that's going to impact college baseball when they do open up the floodgates and we can get some of these high ranked Japanese prospects earlier? So, I, 
Yeah, I don't know, man. I, it, it's crazy to me because they already t- they already took away a bunch of you know a bunch of rounds in the MLB draft because they yeah. took away so many teams during COVID, so many you know sing, uh, low low season A teams, short season A teams, whatever it may be. Um, it's gonna it's gonna definitely impact you know a lot of players in in the college in, in college baseball because you know let's just say if if this does come to fruition, if these young kids are able to come over at the age of 19, 20, 21, you're gonna you're gonna see a huge pattern of 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 international money being. It's gonna also play on the teams though, because their international money is gonna be thrown all over the place. So, yeah, th- that's a good question though. How it's gonna how it's gonna affect the college baseball player? I mean, man, these college baseball players, if they're good enough now, they're getting paid to be, they're they're getting paid already. So yeah, you know the yeah. Is another, awesome. another question. I'm not sure you can answer it, but Shohei putting off this money. And getting paid so much after he's gone, does that screw over the Los Angeles Dodgers in ten years from now and eats into their salary cap for that year? So it will, but will it actually screw them over? Ah, it, put it this way: if they're it, what they the move that they just made, it makes them legitimate contenders for the next ten years. But so, the following ten years that they've deferred this payment, how much of a negative impact will it have on the roster? Well, he's taking up space. You know, he's taking up six hundred and eighty million over ten years. So, you know, that, it's going to be a huge impact. But I feel like there's loopholes that always come into this, um, especially if he has a career over there that he plans on having. You know, that dude will get paid. He'll, he'll have his kids getting paid. You know, it, yeah. it's it's a crazy thing to think about, and and I admire him for you know for doing it. Because it, it is a long term, you know, a very long term play. But when you're getting all that money on endorsements anyway, get somebody else on the team. Get, get some rings. You know, you want to go down as an yeah. all time great. You got to get that ring. A lot of people are pissed, mostly Angels fans. And by the way, it's been a weird reaction from Angels fans. I mean, how can they really be pissed? The guy re signed with them already when everybody thought he should already have left. And the way that they're treating poor Shohei. Now, I guess he has gone across the street, and that might piss a lot of people off. But a lot of people are calling for a salary cap in baseball. They've been doing this forever. But what are your thoughts? Do you think it's time that Major League Baseball finally put some sort of a salary cap on these teams so that the Yankees, Dodgers, and Mets, and you know these you know big market teams don't have just such a ridiculous advantage? I say... I, I want to see someone get paid a billion dollars. So find me somebody better than Shohei. <laughs> I, I don't care about I don't care about salary cap, man. You know, if if the team is worth it, you know, a guy like Steve Cohen will find you and we'll buy you out and we'll figure out a way to make it prosperous on both ends. I mean, hopefully we don't see that. I you know I, I'm I'm also not a Met hater, so I do like the I do like when both New York teams are at least in the mix. So we have we have good baseball to watch, whether it's in the in the afternoon or at night. You can watch two games, but yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be interesting the next the next couple of years to see what, where the salary cap goes if it if it ever if there ever becomes a cap. But to me, blow that cap out the out, out the roof. That I don't care. I don't care how much money you're spending. My biggest thing is is the years that some of these guys are are racking up. Yeah, you know long-term money they're looking for money when they're retired so 
you're giving these guys 10, 12 years, dude. I mean, think about what you've done for 10 to 12 years. Like, you're not going to be at the top of your game, especially in something athletic like that. Yeah. It, it it's, I, I've always said I wouldn't go anything over, you know, seven, eight years for, you know, a 20 year old, 22 year old. Yeah. Once these guys get into their 30s, man, things change. You know, things change. Especially Shohei coming off his second tour in UCL. Now, do you think we're going to see Shohei pitch in Major League Baseball again now that he's secured the bag? Or do you think the Dodgers aren't going to want to risk it considering they are paying this guy $700 million? I know they're doing it so that he can pitch and hit at the same time. But, you know, not every pitcher has success after a second tour in UCL. There's very few of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really nerve. It's got to be really nerve wracking for the Dodgers. Um, for I've heard a lot of people throw out the idea of Shohei coming back and coming into a closer role, which you're not getting. You're not paying seven hundred million dollars for a two way who's a closer. You know, it, yeah. in my mind. So I think when the time is right, I think Shohei will be back. And a guy like Shohei, man, he is so he is a moose on that field. Yeah, you know he is a big, big athletic dude. I think he's one of those guys that can come back if he does if he does the 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 training the right way, doesn't rush it. That's the biggest thing. You're playing for the Los Angeles Dodgers. You don't need to rush this this process. You know, yeah. sit sit out next year, hit, get your arm right, get your head right, get comfortable in in L.A. And then show back out in 2025. But it, this, this, you know, we talk about this a lot. Is it the the, the coaching staff, the facilities, all that? You, these guys are going to have a lot, a lot to look at and monitor with this guy because of all the money that they're spending. So, you know, he can't afford another injury. It's simple. Like he really can't. No, he definitely can't. I will say this though. It's a great value that the Dodgers are getting because he's probably the most recognizable name in baseball at this point. Everybody knows who he is on an international scale. So the amount of money that they're going to be making in merchandise off their television deals and everything else, it's well worth that $700 million. Let's be honest. No matter what position he plays. I mean, if he even if he just hits the way that he does, he was on pace to tying judge or breaking the home run record or not the real home run record with my boy Barry Bonds has <laughs> but he was on pace to match our boy Aaron Judge last year before he got hurt or right around there yeah so, I listen I, the only thing that I can take from this is I'm happy he's not a Toronto he's not on the Toronto Jays that's oh they are not happy today those Blue Jays uh, fans my god god I love it I don't know why man like I have so many so many good friends over in Canada. Like, I love these guys. You know, I play with a bunch of great Canadians, really great baseball players, great kids, great families. I hate the, I hate the Jays, man. There's, there's <laughs> the Jays just some, I hate the Red Sox, it seems. Yeah, there's just something about them. I, I, God, I don't know what it is. Like, the only thing that I can that, that I liked about the Jays is when Rugnet Odor absolutely popped. Uh, what's his name? Uh... Joe, uh, Joey Bats, Jose Batista. Batista. Yeah. yeah, that that that's like my one like Blue Jay moment where I'm like, let's go! Like I love it. Yeah, yeah. There were there were a few Blue Jays notes, and my favorite pitcher of all time. I want to say it was one year that he played on the Blue Jays, and I was kind of secretly 
rooting for him on the side. That was my favorite side chick at the time, the Toronto Blue Jays back in 1998 when Clemens oh. was over there. Just, man, that Roger Clemens. And now I can finally, Franco, I've got like four people that are buying me number 22 jerseys this year. Because they really? all knew I was the biggest Clemens fan. Yeah, yeah, And now yeah, we got Juan Soto coming, rocking that 22. 22 is the new 44. I keep likening this to when the Yankees, and I wasn't alive back then, but when the Yankees got Reggie Jackson off the Oakland Athletics. That's the man right there. Yeah, man. And he was an absolute superstar with the Oakland A's and came over to the Yankees with a few other great Oakland A's at the time, Catfish Hunter, a few mm-hmm. other guys. And that was a great and not talked about enough Yankee team, those you know set late 70s Yankees teams up until the death of Thurman Munson, yep, which just Captain. put the Yankees into a tailspin for many, many years. But if we could even get one World Series this year, I'd be happy considering the BS that we went through as Yankees fans over the past few years. So I guess we're going to have to see what happens. But overall, I would put so far the Yankees at an A for this offseason, A+. Plus. If we get Yamamoto, what about you, Franco? What do we, to wrap things up here before we close the show out? What would you think? Where do you rate in the Yankees offseason if you had to put it on a letter scale? I think I would agree with you on the A. Huge, huge part to that lineup. You know, he walks so often. So if you bat him second, you're gonna have somebody on you're gonna have somebody on base for Judge much more than he's than he's used to from from this past season. If they get Yamamoto, A plus. If they can even come out and get, you know, a Jordan Montgomery back, pick up a Blake Snell, get me another lefty arm for the bullpen, I'll be really happy with this season. You know, this season doesn't really, it doesn't really rely so much on our offseason, I don't think. I think in the grand scheme of things, we need DJ to come back and be DJ LeMahieu. We need Giancarlo Stanton to come out and play the game of baseball. (laughs) Run. Like, like run. (laughs) Yeah. You know, there's there's so many things that the Yankees didn't do last year that they need to, you know, pick up and, and just figure out how to get it done this year. Because adding the Juan Soto, man, you know, Anthony Rizzo now has a lot more comfortability in that lineup. You know, he's he not batting about third. Exactly. He and you know, there's you know Glaber, you love Glaber. This is your guy. I know you love Glaber. I love Glaber, Glaber you, man. Everyone's hating on my boy Glaber. You were adamant about keeping him. I'm happy they did. I'm happy they did. I think he, he him and him and uh, come on, uh, Anthony. Uh, yeah, him and Volpe, to them two together. You know, at I the like end it. of the lineup, I think it's a really good turn turnover for an eight nine. It's a very tough. Now that, eight, that's nine. the question, though. Franco is. I mean, there's a lot of different projected lineups out there, and one person that we didn't speak about yet, who everybody thought was just going to be another trade piece, Alex Verdugo. I think could be one of the most underrated Yankee acquisitions. And I hate Red Sox, as you know. Mm-hmm. But he's somebody that I'm happy to see on the Yankees right now. And I, just because he can make contact. I know that last year he kind of did bad towards the end and fell off. And I heard, and you know what? I like that he was pissing off Red Sox fans. Yep. I like that the Red Sox hated this guy so much last year. A, that's a big up in my book. Yeah. So if we were to, this is what I would like to see as the projected lineup for the Yankees. Just off my head, I want to see LeMahieu leaning off. Mm-hmm. I want to see Judge. Now, this is the real toss-up here that a lot of people are wondering. Do you put Soto before Judge? Because for a long time now, Judge has been batting second in the lineup. Yeah, and have, having success in the number two hole. Um, yes, I think you do just for the fact that Juan Soto walks at an exponential rate. 
and sees a lot of pitches. So like people, you bet your best hitter second, so he sees more at bats. So he gets more at bats. Would right. you say he's a better hitter than Aaron Judge? I know Aaron Judge is a better home run hitter, but I mean, just the plate discipline that Juan Soto has, the amount of walks that he takes, like you said, who do you think's a better hitter, Juan Soto or Aaron Judge? I think overall better hitter would be it would have to be Juan Soto, but Judge's Judge is really coming around to having an approach and sticking to that approach. You know, you you don't see many big time home run hitters like him that can come up. And they're trying to hit the ball the opposite field, so that's what that's one thing I really do love about Judge. Soto's the same way though, man. He's he hits the ball where it's pitched, and yeah. that little that little thing that he does when he takes a ball, oh, I'm so happy that that's on our side this year, man. The, sh- the so shuffle, happy. the Soto shuffle. Yep, that's it. Um, you gotta love I, that yeah, Soto shuffle. I, I think I think it would be you can't you you really can't go wrong. You know, whoever I, I think you try out Soto in the number two hole first. See how it pans out. If it doesn't work, you could always switch that up. Aaron Boone, and he's not the best base runner either. Like you know, no. Soto, he does have some. I wouldn't say glaring flaws, but he's not one of these five tool players like Bryce Harper. He's not even the best outfielder. Or like but my boy Ronald hitter, Acuna. Like yeah, oh, your boy Acuna is just something else. Oh God, he's just something else. But I mean, Soto overall as a hitter so okay so let's make this line a quick LeMahieu first Soto second Judge third now would you put Giancarlo Stanton as cleanup or would you put Rizzo as cleanup after how Giancarlo Stanton played last year you probably put Rizzo put Rizzo at cleanup just so he sees more pitches uh because people forget he he was he was a little shell-shocked oh yeah another huge blunder by the Yankees organization not real he was playing with a concussion for what like 20 games that's on him though that so you know someone's he's, he's got a you got to man up and say something. <laughs> I guess but, I guess he was manning up and playing. Like, it's yeah, crazy. manning up and playing. I don't know. I mean, Stanton standing in Stanton hitting fifth behind Rizzo, I, I think would be beneficial for Stanton in a way that you know, it, it just it, it's plugging up holes and make it, Stanton needs to see more fastballs. But when do you see more fastballs when guys are on base? So Good you know, point. Stanton goes up there and he has no approach. So getting a guy like him fastballs behind Anthony Rizzo would be huge. And you got another lefty in Verdugo coming up after. I now mean, that's the next question. Do we put Verdugo up next or Glaber Torres, who was probably the best hitter on the Yankees last year besides Judge? Glaber was great last year. Yeah. And, and you don't want to like mess with his success because he was playing well, it was batting third last year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean that was a very I mean Billy McKinney not, was batting. Not much second, to choose so. from. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, Mm. It's all about comfortability. It's all about you know switching up, you know switching up your different views. When you can, when you have a guy that just had a great at bat against you on the right side of the plate, and then you have a guy on the left side of the plate do the same thing, you're you're sitting there like, what the hell do I even do next? So, I, I I would love to see Verdugo, then Glaber, and then like a Trevino, I guess, uh, in the so mix. So you put Volpe last because because you know. People aren't talking about Trevino, but we're talking about an all-star in 2022. Yep. Austin Wells, we talk about powerful mustaches. That mustache kind of overshadowed Trevino being hurting on the bench last year. Mm-hmm. It sure did. So, I, I, I think Volpe in the in the nine hole would be great. Just, and you know, again, he gets on. 
he's moving parts. He makes the pitcher very uncomfortable. So for a nine hitter to, you know, make hard contact like he does too, you know, hit the home runs that he does, the RBIs that he has, to turn that lineup over to DJ LeMahieu with men on who DJ knows the strike zone in the top 10%, I would say the top 5 percentile of the whole league. You, yeah. know, you have a guy like Volpe jumping back and forth at first base. Oh, my God. I would love to see that. He's going to yeah, see so I'm many just, pitches. It's like a even like having this conversation. I can't even believe we're having this conversation. After yep. looking at the lineup for last year compared to what it is right now, just beautiful. It's a oh, beautiful it's night, thing. It's, it's night and day, man. I can tell you one thing, though. I really wish I was a fly on the wall in this meeting with, with Yamamoto right now. It's happening as we speak. Literally right now. And they're pulling out the big guns. It's not just Cashman over there in California meeting him in L.A. Yes, we got Hal Steinbrenner himself over there. All the Yankees brass is over there. So we who knows? Hideki maybe Matsui by the... coming back. Yeah, that's right. We got Hideki Matsui Matsui's as a translator there. over there. Uh, Tanaka is back as well. So they're bringing, they're, they're bringing out all the stops for this kid. Yeah, we got to get him. Like, I mean, what you you're mentioning these like these names. These are not just great Yankees. These are great Japanese. These are, yo, like you said, this is what they have over there. So they watch the Yankees. They worship Yankee baseball over in Japan. Oh, yeah. Even when I was working in the sushi restaurant, my sushi master, Hisao Shiriyama, obsessed with the Yankees. Watched every single Yankees game. Was always on while we were making sushi. Yankees game was always on in the background, and he was a huge fan of Tanaka. It's just a huge part of the culture. Yankees baseball. Over in Japan, so come on, you know where the right move is. Come on, uh, Yoshi Nobo. Yeah, I'm gonna get it right eventually. <laughs> Let's go. Come man. on, Yoshi. Hello, Moto. Come on. So we're gonna put this out there so that we can add this to YouTube later. This is the Ryan Show's official projected New York Yankees lineup. Uh, you know, via our own Franco Van Derka, DJ LeMahieu leading off at third base, Juan Soto in right field, batting second. Aaron Judge in center field, which we might get into uh, next time Frank goes on because we'll see how that pans out. Anthony Rizzo batting cleanup at first base. Giancarlo Stanton, as I call him, uh, batting fifth at designated hitter. Glaber Torres, I'm sorry, Alex Verdugo batting sixth in left field. Torres batting seventh at second base. Austin Wells or Trevino coming in at eighth. And Anthony Volpe, gold glove winner, batting last in the nine hole. At shortstop. I think that sounds a lot better than last year. And it looks oh. like Cashman pulled it off. All the crap we were talking, we were saying, fire this man, get rid of Cashman, and somehow this is the lineup going into this year. So Cashman's making all of us. That, I, look, I love it, man. We're all eating our words right now. And especially if he pulls off a Yamamoto signing, he did oh it. He God. flipped the switch on us. He, he was, his ears were ringing every time that we got on the, on the mic. It and, was you, and this was the first time you hear like he's kind of back to his old self, like that like boring, emotionless cashman that would just put us to sleep. There were a few times that he was on the brink of insanity this year. He looked oh, yeah. he, he was cursing at people and freaking out. I've never seen that version of Cashman. Like the New York yep. media finally got to him this year. <laughs> yeah, the veins coming out of his neck. He was getting after it, man. I, you love to see it. You it, it maybe that little maybe that little little uh fire up under his ass. And uh you know, Helped us get to where we're at right now. So, Franco, we do have to wrap up tonight. But The Oven, you guys are not just pulling off interviews with celebrities now. There are some great clips and funny clips because The Oven really is a comedy show at the end of the day. And you and Mario, man, as a one-two punch on there, just killing it. Where can everybody go and listen to more of The Oven? 
where you prefer uh, them to go to first. Thank you, man. No, I appreciate that. We, you know, we've been working hard at this. Um, you know, you were a great guest to come on as well. We have our end of the year party coming up on Wednesday. We can't wait to see everybody at. So, you know, for us, you can follow us on the YouTube at the Oven Podcast, uh, on Instagram at the Oven underscore Pod, and then on TikTok is at the Oven Pod. So all kind of the same, other than the Instagram at the Oven underscore Pod. And like Ryan said, man, we're putting out minis every week. Uh, we're starting our 2024 up with uh, with some pretty cool guests next season, and I'm looking forward to making some sushi with my boy with my with my boy to my left over here. So, yo, I'm gonna get time, him. Up, man. Gonna Yankees get you on in the mini. background. You're gonna meet he's Sal, mm. the Tanaka of the Hamptons, man. Oh, it's going down out there, and I'm excited for this Wednesday. Like you said, the uh, the uh, the oven dinner. Everybody mm-hmm. over there having a good time. So everybody go to the oven podcast. Subscribe. YouTube is really where you got to go because the oven is also a visual experience. Yeah. And very funny stuff, dude. I got to say. And I also agree with your take on Moe's. It's not a real experience unless you go to Moe's. Chipotle is oh. truly the white man's version of Moe's. And I don't like it. Can't Chipotle stand is, it. I don't even like talking about Chipotle. You, you, you want to like grind my gears, just bring up Chipotle. I just saw yeah. your face. Like the, uh, the frown turned upside uh, down. I've had like. You, when I said Moe's. Yeah. I've had more bad experiences at Chipotle than I have at Taco Bell. So it's like, keep it. That says a lot. Yeah, yep. Keep keep your Chipotle. It goes Moe's, Cabo Fresh, Taco Joe's, Cadoba, Taco Bell, Chipotle. We're throwing in the garbage. Wow, that's a lot above Chipotle. And I don't even know what's the second one you said. Oh, Cabo Fresh. Cabo Ooh. Fresh is that like Cabo. a Long Island thing? That's out by you, man. That that what? That's over, yeah. There's uh, one over in Stony Brook. There's <sighs> one in Hopog. That, and it's fresh. Damn. It's at, like it's the, the name is the, the name is absolutely correct. It, it's like so when we were at Stony Brook, our strength and conditioning coach used to bring like plates of that into the locker room because it was it's good food, but it oh, actually tastes man. good. Like I gotta healthy. get me some of that. Some Cabo Fresh. All right, so I'm taking yep. notes here. Let us know what you think, folks, in the comments in the podcast. Actually, you can now leave uh, comments on our Spotify show. So I, I, you know, and everybody that's actually listening to us on Spotify, thank you guys. We appreciate you. Sometimes I feel like there's no reason to be putting it out there because YouTube's like cracking at this point, right? Like Spot, Spotify doesn't even pay people. I keep yep. hearing these stories. I, I believe it was before we wrap things up really quick. I believe it was Buster Rhymes or uh, I forgot who it was, but some legendary rapper had some insane amount of streams and made forty thousand dollars off it this year. He had like billions of streams and made forty thousand dollars off it on Spotify. On Spotify. And it just made me think, like, yeah, I'm sticking with YouTube. Spotify is completely... Po- Every time I see the viewers go up on Spotify, I'm like, okay, well, what's this actually doing for me? Yeah. So yeah. if you are listening, thank you. I appreciate it. But go to our YouTube. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> this is the Ryan Show FM. Franco Van Dirk is with us. I'm going to come back and quickly wrap things up. But until then, enjoy some music. Honky Wonkies on the ones and twos. Listen to The Oven. And we will return. Let's go. Oh. Oh. Listen. First the fat boys break up, now every day I wake up, somebody got a problem with hope. What's up, y'all d- all fed up, cause I got a little cheddar, and my wreck is moving out the store. Young spitting at me, young rappers getting at me, my d- big, but dignity d- exactly. More money, more problems, gotta move carefully, cause f- 
hate when you getting money like athletes. Young it's ice grilling me. Oh, you not feeling me fine. It costs you nothing. Pay me no mind. Look, I'm on my grind, cousin. Ain't got time for fronting. Sensitive thugs, y'all all need hugs. Damn little man's, I'm just trying to do me. If the wreck is two mil, I'm just trying to move three. Get a couple chicks, get them to try to do. Hopefully they're menage before I reach my garage. I don't want much. I drove every car. Some nice cooked food, some nice clean drawers. Bird at I don't mean to ruffle y'all. I know you waiting in the wing, but I'm doing my thing. Where's the love? Somebody got something to say What's all the f fussing for? Because I'm grubbing more And I pack heat like I'm the oven door Pray and pray on my downfall But every time I hit the ground I bounce up like round ball Now I don't wanna have to kill sound ball Don't wanna have to cock back the four pound ball Look scrap, I got nephews to look after I'm not looking at you dudes, I'm looking past you I thought I told you characters, I'm not a rapper can I live? I told you 96 that I came to take this And I did handle my biz I scrambled like Randall with his Cut in hand, but the only thing running is numbers, fam Jigga held you down six summers, damn Where's the law? Where's the law? Tina Turner break up, then I wake up to more bulls. You knew me before records, you never disrespected me. Now that I'm successful, you pull it. I step on your porch, step to your boss. Let's end the speculation. I'm talking to all of y'all. Male shouldn't be jealous, that's a female trait. What you mad? Cause you push down for he sell weight. Y'all don't know my expenses, I gotta buy bigger plates <laughs> and more baggies. Why you all aggy? Respect the game, that should be it What you eat don't make me Where's the love? Where's the love? Things must come to an end, yes, even this radio program, but fear not, folks, you can just chill out and have a delicious glass of Vion, and you can drink Vion all day long. It's the greatest cognac on earth. Go to Vion France on Instagram and give these guys a follow, as well as the rest of the great beverages made by Sovereign Brands and our friend Brett Barish. And if you drink too much of it and you get yourself a Dewey, and you're in the Hamptons area, you can call our other sponsor of tonight's program, Edward Burke Jr. and Associates. 
Sometimes people have a little bit too much fun. You got to pay the consequences. That's why you call Eddie Burke Jr. Get yourself out of that Dewey, or at least get yourself out of as much trouble as possible. Dial 631-725-3131 and let them know that the Ryan Show sent you. One more time, that's 631-725-3131 and let them know that the Ryan Show sent you. Guys, it's been a hell of an experience hanging with you tonight. And I want to thank all of you for listening through the whole two hours of tonight's programming. We're going to be back at the same time and the same place next week. So be sure to stick with this station because you know it's a great station, the greatest station. This is the Ryan Show FM. We'll be back next week, folks. Love you. Adios. Peace. Peace.